0: Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get them answered, so we gather up those unused questions, and we address them here on companion videos now it is Sunday uh the 16th uh May the 16th and last night was a great UFC card don't worry don't worry I'm not going to spend much time talking about the UFC all just to say that you know it wasn't the biggest card of the year on paper like we did have the Iron Mike versus Oliveira lightweight title fight you know see who would take up the the vac the vacated light weight title, that now that uh, uh, Habib uh, Nurmagomedov has retired, best pound-for-pound pound pipe fighter maybe of all time, and it was great, but the whole card, the fights were amazing, the Edson Barbosa knockout, one of the strangest things I've ever seen, um, the, the Jacare's arm break, I mean on and on, it was just a memorable, great card, I had a great time watching it, I hope you guys had a chance to watch it too. Okay that down. Let's get into your comments and questions. By the way, if you want to know how to send in one of these live comments or questions that get read, read on the show, and then if we don't have enough time, get read here on companion videos, simply look in the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. You can click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at streammoments.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, You'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us here involved with the John Campus show. Thank you guys very, very much for that support. Now let's get caught up on those questions. Shall we? We'll get started off here with Brandon who writes, hi, John included in Disney's investor call yesterday was the news that Shang-Chi and free guy, the new Ryan Reynolds film will have a 45 day theatrical window thoughts. Yes. Yes. And I saw that, and I didn't think it was worth talking about as news because we've known for, I think, a couple of months now that 45 days was going to be the new theatrical window, which is a little short, but still, I think, within the framework of still acceptable. Personally, now, traditionally, it's been about a 90-day window. That has been the traditional theatrical window. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, at the theatrical window is the amount of time that studios agree to keep movies in theaters before they go on to any other type of consumption, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, VOD, streaming, whatever. So they agree that when once the movie starts playing in a movie theater, it'll be at least 90 days before it plays on anything else. That's the theatrical window. We've known for a couple of months now that the theatrical window is changing and it's being changed to 45 days. Again, I think it's a little on the short end. I thought they should have changed it to 60 days, but whatever, 45 will work too. But yeah, again, since we've kind of known that's going to be the new normal, I decided not to make it a topic of conversation. But but yeah, it's the first time we've heard Disney officially say they're doing it as well, but all the other studios were kind of lining that up already. So we already knew it was going to be the new uh, theatrical standard. 45 days, we'll see how that works out for them. All right, next up, we've got uh, Jalen Pryor who writes... Hey, John, I've always wondered, have you been told anything about Marvel's movies or Spider-Man three that you can't say or about any Marvel movies coming or their shows? Also, if you had to help me, uh, help and meet Tom Hanks or watch live as the Leafs win the Stanley cup, which are you thinking? Well, answer the second one first. Th- that's easy. Uh, my main, my main purpose in life is my wife. That's my main purpose in life. You know, um, And if I can, her number one kind of dream would be to meet Tom Hanks. And so that's my number one priority. If I could have the choice of being there to watch my beloved Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup Live or have my wife meet Tom Hanks, that's an easy answer. It's your wife. Your wife is always your priority. So there's that. Um, As far as, am I ever told things that I can't say? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not facetious about it. Like I won't say on my show, I don't know if this, this, or this. I'm not lying. Like, I, I will never say on my show, I don't know what the answer to that is. If I really do know the answer to that, I just won't bring it up. So, yes, there are a few things I know about upcoming Marvel project uh, projects that I just can't say because I was told under the – and don't get me wrong. It's not like I know everything. I don't know everything. It's not like I get some daily report of all the ins and outs going on in Marvel. I hear a couple. I get told a couple of little things, though. Um, but I'm always, sometimes I'm told and I'm told with, you can share this, just don't say where you got it from. But sometimes I get told something, say, okay, I'm going to tell you something about this upcoming movie, but you have to swear. It's not going to, you're not going to mention it to anybody then great. And I always keep those promises. But yeah, if you ever hear me say on my show that you know, if we're talking about an upcoming movie or show, and there's something I say, I don't know what it is. I'm not lying. I, I literally don't know what it is. And so there's that. And I don't, and again, I want to be careful that I'm not painting the picture that I know everything. I know all the scoops. I don't, I don't. I find out a few things here, or there, cause I get told, but yeah, there's that. All right. Thanks for asking Jalen. All right. Next up, uh, Jesse writes. I'm thinking about watching knives out for the first time. The problem is when the movie came out, I had it spoiled for me, who the killer is. So, do you think seeing this who done it for the first time holds up if you already know who did it? Yes, it's this, listen, it's the same reason why we all can watch movies if we like the movies. We can watch movies three, four, five times. Well, you already know what happens in the movie. You already saw every single scene. you know how it ends, you know how it gets there. Why watch it again? Well, because the movie's really good. Uh, I have watched Knives Out at least three times. I might have seen it four, but anyway, at least three times. And yes, there is one element that isn't there anymore if you know who the killer is at the end. But it's like anything else. It's the journey. You know, watching a movie is about each individual scene and the dialogue and the way it's performed and the, the laughs that hit or the shocks that happen or whatever. It's about the whole thing. It's not just about what the ending is. If that was the case, nobody would watch Titanic because we all know how Titanic ends. The boat sinks, right? So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly still good. I mean, if it wasn't, then none of us could watch a movie for a second time. And there are a lot of movies that we do. So I think it's perfectly good. Even if you know who the killer is, it's about the story that gets you there. That's the important thing. Anyway, that's my take at at any rate, Jesse. Thanks for asking, man. All right, next up. Jalen Pryor writes, John, I haven't been to a movie since since I saw Spider-Man Far From Home. I live in Toronto, so no movies are open, but John, I'm telling you, I can't wait to pay that extra $1,000, $1,000, $1,000 for a root beer again. I am so weird. I like going, um, so am I weird to like going to the movies alone? Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, I know how I felt being able to get back to the movie theaters. I mean, still right now, every time I've gone back to the movie theaters now five, six, seven times, but every time I go, I appreciate it now. Like every time I go to the movie theater, I like walk into the lobby. I'm just like, I just breathe it in. And when I get into the theater and get into my seat and I'm looking at that big screen, I just appreciate it a lot more now. So I'm really looking forward to everybody else being able to have that experience too. As far as are you going to the movies alone? No. I mean, listen, movies are great when they can be shared experiences with other people. Yes. But movies are still experiential events, whether you're with somebody else or not. You know, when I went to go see, I I went to go see the Zack Snyder uh, Army of the Dead, right? I went by myself and was not interested in watching that movie. And she was a little bit busy that night, too. And I'm like, I'm going to go see it. So I hopped in my car, drove to a movie theater that I've never been to before, because it was the only one around me playing it, and sit down and watch it. When I used to live in Burbank... And I was like a 10-minute walk from the AMC Burbank 16, one of the best movie theaters in the country, I, all the time. I'd say, oh, I got a couple hours. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, I bet I can, I can get down there to see a 2.15 show of whatever and just walk down and go to it. Absolutely. Look, it's the better experience when you're watching other people. But movies are movies, man. So yeah, I, I'll go to the movie by myself that nobody else wants to go that particular day. Absolutely. All right, next up. Uh, Jesse writes, Somebody asked about a favorite scene in Superman and Lois. Yeah, that was uh, on the last show. Somebody asked about that. Uh, And funny enough, my top two picks don't even have Clark in them. It's the scene of Lana uh, Lana and Sarah. That's a really good scene, actually, in her bedroom, talking in her room about their relationship and the Lois I quit scene. This show has surprised me. Listen, we've been talking a lot about the Superman and Lois show, and... I mean, and for those of you who haven't heard us talk about it, you know, I hate this rendition of Superman in the CW because they have treated this Superman with such utter disrespect from day one on that Supergirl show, and they turned Superman into a jobber, and like the only reason Superman has been on that show was so they, they could humiliate him to make Supergirl look better, and I've hated that. You don't do that to Superman. Anyway, so I had zero interest in Superman and Lois the show. But I had a bunch of my viewers write in and say, hey, John, you know, the first couple of episodes of the Superman and are really good. You might want to at least check it out. So I'm like, fine, I'll check it out. I'll watch this jobber Superman. And you know what? I love the show. Love it. Not the best thing on TV, but I love this show. Uh, they've done a great job with it. They're telling the Superman story from a very different angle, a very, you know, the the human side of Clark, if you will, being a father, all that kind of stuff. And I've enjoyed it. And yes, we talked about my favorite scenes in it, but those are good scenes too, man. Those are also very, very... That that Lana scene was particularly good. I didn't see that one coming, but that one was really, really good. All right, next. By the way, I can't remember the actress's name, but the girl who plays Lana Lang, amazing. I think she's doing a great job on that show. Anyway, I don't even know the actress's name. Uh, Anyway, next up, uh, Brandon writes... I think we're all jumping for joy over the CDC's new guidance on masks and social distancing. Remember, these are new guidelines if you're vaccinated, right? If you're vaccinated, these are the new uh, social guidelines. Anyway, do you expect uh, a lot more theaters to be able to go back to 100% capacity at some point? At some point, yes. At some point soon, I don't know. I don't know. Like, for instance, I know for a fact, because I know a number of people who are like, will go and have gone back to the movie theaters, but because there's still some pretty strict guidelines, limited capacity, things like that. And if they just said, oh, it's 100% capacity, they wouldn't have gone back. Like, um, like I think, well, one of them is now fully vaccinated, but I think the other one is still waiting for their second shot. At any rate, if if you had told them, you know, two weeks ago, oh, hey, uh, let's go to the movies. Okay, sure. Is it still limited capacity? No, you're going to have a stranger sitting on your left or sitting right beside you on your right. They may not have gone. They may not have gone. So are we, as you put in your question, at some point going to be able to go back to 100% capacity? Absolutely. Maybe not even in the very far future. Maybe even like within the next couple of months. But I really don't think they should rush it I mean it's it's all about easing back in and more and more people are getting comfortable with the idea of going back to the theaters let them get comfortable let more people get vaccinated let's see the the you know the new uh, cases numbers continue to drop and then start to introduce it I, I just don't want to see them jumping the gun because they could do more damage by jumping the gun too fast than if they wait an extra month or an extra 90 days or or, or however, right? Um, playing it by ear right now. So at some point, yes, maybe even relatively soon. I just hope they don't get ahead of themselves because I think there are still a lot of people who are on the fence who will be turned off from the idea of going to the movies if they think they could be in a packed house sitting beside a stranger and they, they're not really comfortable with that yet. Yet, L- but let's see how it goes. All right, thanks for writing that in, Brandon. All right, Juice writes... Thor could just teleport Superman to another planet where he's just some dude. This has been an ongoing, I don't know how this became a debate. Who wins Thor or Superman? Superman wins easy. Because for every time you say Thor could just teleport Superman to another planet, guess what? Superman could blow up Thor's head with his heat ray vision infinitely faster than Thor could teleport him. So there you go. See, we could play this game all day. We could play this game all day. Uh, but no, Superman wins that fight. Superman wins that fight all day, every day. All right, that's that's my take on it at any rate. All right, Tony Riaz writes, Hey, John and Rob, best duo on YouTube. Well, obviously Rob's not here right now, but he was when we were doing the show. Uh, this week I'm watching Top Gun Nice because I think it's the 35th anniversary and it's playing in theaters again. Excellent. Uh, I'm watching Top Gun in theaters for its 35th anniversary. Uh, 1986 had some greats. Aliens, Platoon, and the list could go on. Do you have an all-time favorite movie from 1986? All right. Let's be clear here. I do not walk around with a a list of films in my head that I know are from 1986 or 1985 or 1999 or 2004. I am not a movie dates guy. So just for the heck of it, let, let me bring up uh, hold a second here. Um, let's go to Box Office Mojo and see if we can't get to. Okay, here's box office for nineteen, uh, nineteen nine or nineteen eighty six. Okay, let's see what we got here. We have got uh, Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee was eighty six, to Kid Part Two, Back to School, Alien, probably Aliens. Color purple. Seriously, probably a top fifty all time movie ever. Star Trek for the voyage home. That's actually my favorite Star Trek movie. Not um, for most people. It's Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Star Trek for the voyage home is my favorite Star Trek movie. Uh, Ruthless people out of Africa. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. John Schnepp was in that by the way. Just a quick little 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 extra bit. He was in that. Down out in Beverly Hills. The color of money is so great. Stand By Me was in the same year. Legal Eagles, Cobra, this is Vesna Sloan, Jewel of the Nile, Police Academy 3. I love the Golden Child. Everybody craps on The Golden Child. I think it's Eddie Murphy's most underrated film. I really do. Peggy Sue Got Married, Poltergeist 2, Short Circuit, Johnny 5, Pretty in Pink, The Fly. Look at it. Rocky 4, my favorite Rocky movie. Look at all these iconic movies that were in 86. About Last Night, Running Scared, Money Pit, uh, Tom Hanks movie, so my wife really likes that. Gung Ho, the Michael uh, uh, Michael Keaton movie, Hannah and Her Sisters, An American Tale, uh, Heartbreak Ridge, love Heartbreak Ridge, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Friday the 13th Part 6. Uh, wow, I mean, look at these. Iron Eagle was 86. Iron Eagle came out the same year as Top Gun. I did not know that. And oh my God, Three Amigos. Good night, Ned. Three Amigos. Would you say I have a plethora? Anyway, I love Three Amigos. You know, I'm probably still going to have to stick Flight of the Navigator was that year. You know what? I'm going to have to stick with um, probably Aliens. Aliens, I mean, that's like an all-timer. I mean, there are many on that list that were all-timers. But yeah, 86 was a damn good year for movies, man. All right, next up. uh, We have Xevia Rep. Of course, I've got my Zevia Cola right here. Good afternoon, Mr. Campia. Uh, We would very much like to sponsor you, but my CEO keeps asking me, why does this Canadian guy keep calling us sons of bitches, making it a difficult sale? K-Major here, John, just messing with it. Yeah, because I always say, uh, drinking Zevia Cola. Zevia, sponsor me, you sons of bitches. More people drink, drink Zevia Cola today because of me than anything else Zevia has ever done with their marketing. Now, I full disclosure though they have been nice to me they have several times they've sent me a couple of cases of zevia which is very very nice of them so but i always joke they should totally become sponsors of the show so zevia cola sponsor me you cheap sons of bitches all right next up uh K Major also writes I used to be big on X actor for X role until you came along and totally get and totally get why but I got to say I would love to see Brendan Fraser return to the big screen he just seems like the coolest dude and I love everything he's done put him in knives out too yeah I mean there was what was I just watching recently oh I mean Doom Patrol I love him in Doom Patrol you don't get to see him very much because he's robot but I mean, I love him in Doom Patrol. I really like I've been a big Brendan Fraser fan for a long time. Like, even damn George of the Jungle. I even love him in that. Like just, regardless of everything else he's done too. I really, really like him. Um, it would, I would love to see him make a big resurgence. I know he starred in like an HBO series or something like that a couple of years ago that I never did watch, unfortunately. But um, I would love to see a true, really good resurgence of Brendan Fraser. It would, it would be great to see. All right, next up. Uh, Jason writes, one of four, the situation at Disney Disney reminds me of the old Steve Jobs interview on why Xerox failed. If you were a product, oh, I've heard this quote before. This quote is great. Okay. If you were a product person at IBM or Xerox, so you make a better copier or computer, so what? When you have a a monopoly market share, uh, the company isn't any more successful. So the people that can make the company more money is the sales and marketing people and they end up running the companies and the product people get driven out of the decision making forums Uh, and companies forget what it means to make great products. Dude, this is the perfect analogy for what's going on at Disney. Anyway, let's keep going on here. The product sensibility and the product genius that brought them to that monopolistic position gets rotted gets rotted out by people who have no conception of a good product versus a bad product. They have no conception of the craftsmanship that is required to turn a good idea into a good product, and they really have no feeling in their hearts, usually about wanting to really help the customers. All right, I'm backing up because I'm going to want to read this again in a second. Jason, first of all, kudos. This is a perfect uh, example and a perfect analogy of what we see happening at Disney. So if you guys saw the John Campbell show on Friday, we talked a long time about the, the things that are going on at Disney right now and how they, as a Disney fan, very, very much concern me because... When you look at the some of the main pillars or traits that Bob Iger had in, implemented at Disney, let the creators lead, uh, remove unnecessary layers of bureaucracy, make sure there is clear vision and process, as well as make sure you hire the right people with the right experience and the right pedigree in the right roles of leadership. When you look at those four pillars... And then we read this report, this big kind of expose story that came out in Variety, that shows the new CEO, Bob Chapek, has been fundamentally dismantling all four of those pillars. The creators no longer lead. Bob Chapek has been introducing new layers of bureaucracy and management levels. He's created a more distorted vision of what the vision of the company is and what the process is. The Variety actually wrote in their article that they've talked to several of the higher-ups at Disney who say it's total confusion right now. Nobody really has a clear picture of how you get from A to B here anymore. Um, and probably most concerning is the fact that now it's not the creators who lead. They're not the main people. It's now the salespeople and the distribution people. They're the ones who make the decisions now. They're the ones who decide and kind of set the course and the creatives just kind of try to do what they do. And that, to me, is a recipe for disaster. Not immediately, because the next three or four years, everything we see coming out of Disney is still going to be what was already put in motion by the Bob Iger administration. But after three or four years, I'm afraid we're going to start seeing things really start to go to crap over at Disney. Hearing me talk about that Listen, this is a great – thank you for writing this in, Jason. This is great. Let's read again the words of Steve Jobs, okay? Uh, the situation at Disney reminds me of the old Steve Jobs interview on why Xerox failed. Now, think about this, what he's saying, and how it completely, completely equates to what's going on at Disney right now. If you were a product person at IBM or Xerox, so you make a better copy of your computer, so what? The, the upper D-ups may think – when you have a monopolistic market share, the company isn't any more successful. So like when you're Disney and you're like the number one company out there, especially in the movie industry, you're, you're number one. Okay, our creators continue to make great movies that keep us at number one. Great, but you know we are already number one, right? The company isn't any more successful. So the people that can make the company more money is the sales and marketing people, and they end up running the companies. And that's exactly what we see Bob Chapek doing at Disney now. It's now the distribution and the marketing, and it's those people now that are calling the shots, not the creators. Anyway, they end up running the companies, and the product people get driven out of the decision-making forums. Uh, we have saw that, too, in the Variety article. The people who have now the most power and influence have, not, have no experience when it comes to movies, like none. But they're the people with the most power now. Anyway, and companies forget what it means to make great products. The product sensibility and the product genius that brought them to that monopolistic position gets rotted out by people who have no conception of a good product versus a bad product. They don't care. All they care about is the distribution channels, the marketing, and the sales numbers. Uh, They have no conception of the craftsmanship that is required to turn a good idea into a good product And they really have no feeling in their hearts, usually about wanting to really help the consumers. I think, Jason, again, this is the perfect quote to kind of illustrate what we see going on at Disney right now. Now, look, let me say a couple of things here. Number one, like I already said, it's going to be a number of years before we really see the negative impact of this sort of thing. Because uh, there's a lot of stuff that Bob Iger had already put in place that's going to be now rolled out over the next few years. So it's going to be years. We're not going to see some kind of immediate falling off the cliff. But the second thing I want to say is this. You know, if you look back on Friday's show, I might come across a little bit more doom and gloom than I intended. I mean, it's bad. It's bad what's happening right now. But that doesn't mean that Bob Chapek or the, the board of Disney can't recognize certain things aren't in our best interest and make changes, right? Like six months from now, Bob Chapek may reorganize things again and put it back into a proper alignment, right? I'm not saying Disney is automatically doomed. There are a lot of things that can happen along the way to course correct and make things better. What I was saying is that if they continue like this, they might see some short-term term benefits, whatever, but the long-term thing is they are going to go the way of Xerox. They're going to go the way of Xerox. And half of you watching this video right now is like, who the hell is Xerox? There you go. Point made. Steve Jobs was correct. Anyway, Jason, fabulous uh, analogy. Excellent, excellent comparison. Thank you so much for bringing that up, dude. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Tony Rodriguez writes, Disney was looking like it would healing. Disney was looking like it would healing, and Star Wars would be back on track with with Kathleen Kennedy going out on extended vacation. Now we have Chapek taking over. uh, Now possibly ruining the rest of the company. This is the reason he was pushed aside. He wasn't. Bob Chapek is the CEO of Disney. He, I, I'm not quite sure what it is you're trying to say here, Tony. Guys, please, when you're writing in your questions, take a minute or two. Reread what it is you wrote before you write it in because it causes some confusion. Uh, when it comes to the Kathleen Kennedy thing, one of the things that people have to remember, and everybody conveniently forgets this, George Lucas picked Kathleen Kennedy. Everybody conveniently forgets that. George Lucas picked Kathleen Kennedy. In his opinion, she was the person to lead Lucasfilm. And, I mean, she's one of the greatest producers of all time in Hollywood. That's beyond refute. That doesn't mean she's done a great job leading Lucasfilm. Don't get me wrong. Don't confuse the two the two other things. But if you don't acknowledge that Kathleen Kennedy is one of the greatest producers of all time, you simply don't know what you're talking about. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. But that doesn't mean she's done a good job running Lucasfilm. I don't believe she's done a great job running Lucasfilm. Um, That doesn't mean I think George Lucas picked badly or that, I mean, it, it was a good fit. It was a good fit. And guess what? Sometimes you can do the right thing and it doesn't work out. That's life. Just because something doesn't work doesn't mean the decision that got you there wasn't the right decision. There are many times in life you can make the right decision and it doesn't work out. To me, that's what this was. Kathleen Kennedy was the right person to hire for the job, and it didn't work out. Now, that's not to say that she hasn't had some terrific triumphs. She has. I mean, listen, every movie that she's overseen for Star Wars, with the exception of one that never should have been made in the first place, every single movie has made over a billion dollars. As a matter of fact, Kathleen Kennedy, the average box office of Kathleen Kennedy's Star Wars movies is higher than the average box office of Kevin Feige's Marvel movies. Now, of course, there's a lot of asterisks you could put on that. Like there are a lot more Kevin Feige Marvel movies that got made. And of course, totally, there are asterisks put that. Yes, you absolutely can. But it does make the point. She has been in, in many definitions. She's been very successful. I've talked ad nauseum about the reasons I think she should move on and get back to producing films and just producing films exclusively. So I won't repeat all that again. But I mean, you can't ignore there. Again, I just think people ignore a number of things. They ignore the successes she's had. Mandalorian, for example, huge success for her. Well, that was Feb- no, 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 no. She's the one who greenlit that. She's the one who read the pitch from Jon Favreau out of the hundreds of pitches that got put in, thousands of pitches that came across her desk of things they can do in Star Wars. And she looked at the Mandalorian one and recognized that out of all the thousands of other ones, this was one that could really work. And then she brought, then Jon Favreau got invited to Lucasfilm, sat down with Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy let you know, Jon Favreau really express this. Jon Favreau tells this story uh, at D23 that I was at, and many probably many of you were at as well. He tells a story about sitting with Kathleen Kennedy, telling the story. And a lot of people forget that it was Kathleen Kennedy who said, you know what, John? I want you to take on somebody to help you with this. I think it would be a great help to you if you had Dave Filoni work with you on this. Like, you're the showrunner. You'll be in charge, but I think it'll be really, really good for you to have Dave Filoni work with you on this. And John Favreau went, yeah, that's like I I know Dave. This that would be great. Sure, let's do that. But John Filoni, or John yeah John uh, John Favreau tells the story that it was Kathleen Kennedy's idea and her mandate to put Dave Filoni with John Favreau. And what happened? We got Mandalorian. And there I know there are the Kathleen Kennedy haters who never want to give her an ounce of credit for anything. But guess what? If you're gonna knock her, like I give her strikes. For the fact that they didn't launch the new trilogy with a plan of what all three movies were going to be before they started shooting, I—I I mean, to me, that's this the biggest foul up she's made at that company. But you also, if you're going to knock her for those things, you also got to give credit. And Rogue One, huge win. Rogue One's an awesome movie and made over a billion dollars. Huge win. Mandalorian, huge win. I think we can. This is debatable for people, but The Force Awakens to me is a fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. At any rate, look, the bottom line is there were wins, there were losses. Um, And at the end of the day, I think it's just a lot of people only want to recognize her wins or only want to recognize her losses. And then there are those people with common sense who know to acknowledge both. Yep, this was a win, this was a win, and that was a loss, and that was a loss. And those people forget, and they keep overlooking the fact that George Lucas is the one that put her in that position. But... Uh, We'll see how things go. We will see how things go with this new direction that Bob Chapek has. All right, next up. Uh, Chuck the Mystery writes, "Uh, Hey John and Rob. Uh, Rob's obviously not here right now. One of two. With many DC characters, I have a preference as to which iteration is my favorite. But with the characters of Robin and Batgirl, I find great things about all of them. Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson are the OGs, but I love Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Cain, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, among others. Who are your favorite iterations of Robin and Batgirl? Also, uh, what do you think of Jason Todd becoming Red Hood in Titans? Is season three too soon for that to happen? I have no interest in Titans. I don't watch it anymore, so I'm I'm not going to give an opinion about that. Um, Listen, the the history of Robin in the comics. I know my buddy Rodney, uh, I know Tim Drake was like, my my buddy Rodney was the biggest Tim Drake Robin fan. Like, he collected... He bought every issue of everything Tim Drake. Uh, I thought the Damian Wayne Robin was a really interesting take and direction to take the whole Robin mythology. That was cool. But, I mean, for me, the true Robin is Richard Grayson. He is the true Robin. Uh, not necessarily, like, the, the, the 11-year-old version, but, I mean, I, I just... When you think of Robin, I think of one name, Grayson, and everything that that entails, from when he called himself Robin to when he changed and called himself Nightwing to then for periods of time, he has been the Batman. I mean, the story of Richard Grayson, to me, might even be more interesting than the story of Bruce Wayne, and and I mean that from his childhood all the way through to where he is now, that to me is still like that might be an even more interesting story than the story of Bruce himself. So yeah, for me, it's always going to be Richard Grayson. All right, next up, uh, T man writes: uh, Disney history analogy, uh, Disney history analogy, showing the importance of creatives taking the lead. Bob Iger is the Walt Disney to Bob J Peck's Roy. That's true. That's actually a very, very good thing because, um, uh, Walt was very much about the creative. Right? Walt was, I mean, he was a good businessman, but he was very much about the creative. Roy was much more of the business, right? So that's a really good analogy. Anyway, uh, the importance of creatives taking the lead. Bob Iger is the Walt to Bob Chapek's Roy. Uh, Walt led the creative side of the company, Roy the business side, and Roy almost always submitted to Walt's vision. Uh, two of two, imagine how different things would be today if Roy had led the company and not Walt. Possibly none of the classic animated films and certainly no parks. To me, Iger has been a modern Walt in how he has led the company creatively. Bob Iger, though, Big Papa Iger has been, he has been many different things, though. Like he has, He has also had... He is also a very much a business visionary. Right? Like under him the expansion of the Disney empire has been unprecedented. The acquisition of Lucasfilm and and you know things like Pixar and the development his final big thing that he stayed in office for to get done launching Disney Plus, which is going to be a major thing, a major major, you know, crown jewel for Disney for years moving forward. For years moving forward. And he was also very much a creative and he also believed in creators and he loved people with vision. And yes, you need somebody. You need your Bob Chapex. You need your Roy Disney's. You need these guys. Absolutely. You need them, but the guy or the person whose hands need to be on the wheel is somebody who, at the heart, understands and values the creativity. You know, going back to Steve Jobs' uh, comments, uh, you need the people who can envision the next great st- advancement in the computer or the next great advancement in the type of technology that Xerox had, and all that. You need them to be the people with the wheel, uh, with the, the the ship's wheel in their hands, not the ones who are counting the dollars and cents you need those guys too. Absolutely. They're super vital, but they should not be the ones with their hands on the wheel. And under Bob Chapek, these are the people that he has putting their hands on the wheel. And I just hope they, uh, they realize that mistake and they change directions. Anyway, that's a real, another good analogy. You guys are just throwing out the great analogies today. That is great. Thanks for that team. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, we've got Willow who writes, I've never been to California, but wow, this is the first time I've heard someone say that they don't like In-N-Out. I do not like In-N-Out burger. So, and all my Californian friends look at me like I just said, you know, I don't know. uh, Baby Yoda should have his face kicked in. Like that's whenever I mention that In-N-Out burger is garbage, people just in California, like they look at me like a heretic. Anyway, uh, what do you think is the best fast food burger? Listen, I've said this all the time and I will say it again. The best fast food burger in the world is Harvey's. Now, I think there are some Harvey's in the U.S. I believe I've seen some Harvey's in the U.S. Harvey's are, I think, mainly in Canada. But but this is one of those times where, you know, I always back the Canadian thing because I'm Canadian. But this is one of those times where it really has nothing to do with it. Harvey's easily for me is the best fast food burger. Not the best burger, but the best fast food burger I've ever had. Um, and for those of you who've had the chance to get it, I still remember their jingle. Harvey's their jingle, makes a hamburger, a beautiful thing. And it re- they really do. They are the best burgers fast food wise. Now, I've had many other better burgers, but not at fast food restaurants. So that to me is, is, uh, is that's the king to me. All right. Jay Bling writes, uh, when you said the delivery guys couldn't get the long piece of your couch up the stairs and around the corner uh, into your old apartment, I hope... You heard some, some of them, some one of them continuously yell "pivot." That sounds like a movie or TV show reference. Is that a Seinfeld reference? I can't remember, but yeah, that was still. I, you guys, listen, I told the story the other day, but it broke my heart. I, I, I will bring this up here just quickly. Give me, give me, indulge me for a minute here as I bring this up quickly. I'll just tell this kind of story again, but Anne and I found my dream couch, like my dream sofa. We came across it at this place. I just absolutely, completely fell in love with this damn sofa. I sat in it. It was like the most comfortable thing I had ever sat in. Uh, I'll just bring up a picture of it here. This is the sofa as it sits in my new house, the house Anne and I now live in. But I originally bought this sofa... When Ann and I lived in this little two-bedroom apartment in Burbank and I found this couch, I fell in love with it. It was the most expensive piece of furniture I ever bought. But my dad says, you know, spend your money on the things you use the most. I'll never forget that. That's like the best financial lesson I think I ever got from my dad. Spend your money on the things you use the most. There are two things I've always heard my dad, I heard my dad say before about things you should be willing to spend your money on. Spend your money on the things you use the most and spend money on experiences because experiences are the things that live with you for your whole life. But, um, and what do you use a hell of a ton? Your bed. So Ann and I, we were willing to spend money on our bed because you know, we're in our bed seven to eight hours a day, but your sofa, because I watch TV from my sofa. I chat with friends on my sofa. I do work on my sofa. I love my sofa. I'll take naps on my sofa, so I was always willing to spend money on a sofa. So when Ann and I were living in this little two bedroom apartment, bought this sofa. I don't know if you can tell just how big this sofa is. You can sleep 4 people on it. I'm not I'm not joking. You can we have set up, you can sleep 4 people on this thing. The problem is the long part of the couch when they finally brought came the day after a month of waiting or a couple of weeks of waiting for them to deliver the sofa. The movers couldn't get it up to the second floor and around the corner. It just wouldn't work. And so this dream sofa I had found and spent money on, we had to send it back. And I had to pay like a $250 restocking fee for sending it back. So I had I was out 250 bucks, and I never got my sofa. So when Ann and I finally eventually moved into a bigger place, the very first thing I did was we went back to that damn place couldn't find this one. So we're like, this is what it looked like. They figured it out. I'm like, order us this couch. Now we're getting it. And we got the couch. Favorite couch, uh, favorite couch ever. So I would say uh, to this day, the the best piece of advice th- that I would give financially to people is, number one, go back in time and invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> That's my first piece of financial advice. Go back in time to when Bitcoin was like $2 and buy a, health, a shit ton of it. Uh, but the other two pieces of, of financial advice I always give us this: the things you're going to spend your money on, the things you use the most, and experiences. Be be willing to drop your money on a great vacation. Be willing to drop your money on going to a Super Bowl if you're a you know if you're a sports fan. Be willing to drop your money on going to see uh, Hamilton. Even if they're expensive tickets, if you're into theater or whatever, because these, the experiences are things that will be with you for the rest of your life. So the things you use the most and experiences, uh, as always, be wise, be smart, but yeah, those are the things. All right, uh, last question of the day, and then we are we are uh, all ready to go. I think this these, uh, uh, is it for all the questions that got sent in by the time the show ended on Friday. All right, Frankie Gouge writes, I think you will appreciate this. Just got a Netflix email. Do, don't forget to finish the Force. <laughs> <laughs> Not LOL. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I got to say, I do like... Amazon Prime does this as well. I think Disney Plus, HBO Max. I do like getting these little emails from my streaming providers reminding me, hey, we got this new thing on, or hey, you were looking at this. Don't forget to circle back and check it out. I do like that. I, I like that they do that. But yeah, it would have been funny. I mean, I unfortunately did finish watching Thunder Force. Big mistake. But yes, Thunder Force, honestly maybe the worst movie I've seen in the past two or three years. Definitely a top 10 worst movie I've seen in the last 10 years. Maybe a top 10 worst movie I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, it's so bad, but yeah, don't forget to finish watching Thunder Force. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment. Of our companion videos. Now, when we get to the show tomorrow on Monday, we'll be picking up with all the questions that got sent in after Friday's show finished. So all you guys who've been sending in questions over the weekend, we're going to get to those on Monday's show. But now we are all cut up to when the show ended on Friday. Guys, thank you so much for being here and taking some time out to watch this show. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campy YouTube channel Thank you guys very much for that support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, pivot!